Turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29. I could feel the anticipation, the excitement this morning for the annual stewardship sermon. I know that, it, that Easter is a, it's close, but Easter is first. And I know, secondly, that your hearts are all aflutter on this Sunday uh, when we're wrapping up our stewardship emphasis. Rejoicing and giving. Put plainly, 1 Chronicles 29, 9 says, When the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David rejoiced greatly too. It is best in our giving to God to do so not reluctantly or with regret. When we truly understand who God is, when we truly understand what the church is to him, our gifts bring us more joy than any purchase, investment, or expenditure. For only what we ultimately give away are we ever able to keep. What's happening here in 1 Chronicles 29 is a farewell by King David. He's handing the leadership over to Solomon. It's a two-day event the people are called to attend. The people are gathered to give their gifts for the building of the temple that David was not allowed to build. He collected the materials here, but he's handing it over to his son, Solomon. Solomon would have that privilege and that responsibility, the task of building the temple. God's choice of Solomon in the story is now assumed. And the people are prepared to begin collecting for the building of God's temple. David admits in these first verses of 29, look at verse 1, that his son Solomon, he says, he's young, he's inexperienced. And building this temple, verse 1, is a, is a big work. In fact, the word used for temple is palace, it's a palatial structure they're building a palace for God. It reminds the people that this building is for God, and he is the one enthroned over Israel. This morning, I want us to notice some guidelines for the way the ancient Israelites gave their offering, their tithe. I want it to be guidelines for us today, too. First of all, we learn, make provision for giving. Make provision for giving. Look at verse 2. Now with all my ability, this is David speaking, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for things gold, the silver for things silver, and the bronze for things bronze, and the iron for things iron, the wood for things wood, and onyx stones, and inlaid stones, and stones of antimony, and stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and alabaster in Abundance. The key word, it, it occurs over and over again here in 1 Chronicles 29 is prepare to give. Make provision to give. Again in verse 3, look at the end. It says, I have already provided for the holy temple. In verse 16 it says, O Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided to build you a house. For yours is a holy name. It is from your hand and all is yours. Verse 19 again. 
to build the temple which I, for which I have made provision. We must make provision for giving. We must plan. We must budget for our giving to God. Our gifts must never be the leftover or the last. We need to make provision, David's saying. We need to make preparation. When you give to God, first of all, you need to be prepared to give. Tossing in a few bills or coins in a collection plate as it passes would be an unimaginable way to give for King David, who says, I've made plans, I've made provision. I've prepared my gift for God. David's generosity was based on the devotion for the work which was to be done. A temple that would honor God, a palatial structure. Therefore, David intended to do all that he could do to provide for that purpose. God's people are to be intentional in our giving. Wallace M. Allison Jr. of Princeton said, Profoundly, only those who love the church and believe in that for which she stands can be expected to support her with their stewardship. If Christians do not direct their stewardship to the life and the work of the church, no one else will. Not the disinterested person, not the community charity fund, and certainly not the state. The church depends for its support solely on those who love her. The church depends on its support solely on those who love her. Have you provided for the needs of your church? Have you planned? Have you been purposeful in your giving? Or is yours the leftover and the loose change? Secondly, not only make provision to give, but give yourself. For to give your money is to give yourself. Look at verse 5. Of the gold for the things gold, of the silver for the things silver, that is the work done by the craftsman, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Now above, he's talking about all the various metals used to construct the temple. We'll need some gold. We'll need some silver. We'll need bronze, precious stones, onyx, alabaster in abundance. But when it comes time to talk about what is consecrated or devoted to God, it's not the gold or the silver or the bronze or the onyx. It is himself. It is the person. It is the giver. Who is willing to set himself aside, to consecrate themselves, to offer themselves for devotion to God? It's the language of someone going into the priesthood who has set aside or devoted or consecrated himself to God. See, this passage is, is not just about the amassing of jewels and gold and silver, but rather it is about their consecrating or pouring themselves into the construction of the temple. It is a symbol of their wholehearted giving to the construction of God's palace. We truly have inherited one of the most beautiful edifices of worship that anyone has, has ever seen. Uh, Dr. Jim Dennison was in the sanctuary with some friends this week, and he, he said, I want you to see it because there's nothing else like this room. There is nothing else like the sanctuary 
in which you worship. Dr. Yates said on the day that this sanctuary was consecrated, it cost some of us far more than the world will ever know. It cost some of us far more than the world will ever know. And in recent years, about a decade ago, the beautiful courtyards outside cost some of you more than we will ever know. And even now, the construction of the loft and how that will help us reach the next generation with the values of the gospel and the kingdom of God is costing some of you more than we will ever know. A member of our church who was a missionary said about First Baptist Church, when I turned down Tyler Street, he said, my heart leaps for joy like an ancient worshiper for God heading to Zion. When I, when I turn down Tyler Street, this place is like that for many of us. My heart leaps for joy like an ancient Jew going to Jerusalem to worship. Our gifts represent our worship. Not just bricks and mortar like that was not just gold and silver or onyx or alabaster. Our gifts represent us. It happened one time after the pastor made an appeal to a worthy cause the church was doing. A certain woman came up and handed the pastor the check and said, will this gift be satisfactory? And the, the pastor said, if it represents you, it is. She thought about a moment and took the check back and came back in a few days and gave a, a larger check and, and said to the pastor, is this, is this is this good enough? Is this satisfactory? And the pastor said the same thing again. If it, if it truly represents you, then, then it's good. And she took it back and went home again, and she came back a third time, and this time she said to the pastor, after earnest and prayerful thought, I have come to the conclusion that this gift now does represent me, and I am joyful to give it. We give ourselves when we give. There's a third thing. Give with a willing heart. Give with a willing heart. Look at verse 6. Then the rulers of the father's household and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers of the king's work offered willingly. Give with a willing heart. It happens again in verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering to the Lord of the whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. I want you to notice how David didn't build the temple. He didn't levy a tax. There was no army in the shadows forcing the gifts out of the people. He could have taxed the people to finance the work of the temple, but that was not God's plan. It was not the king's plan, but rather he collects based upon the willing and generous hearts of the people. It's one thing to give generously. It's another thing to give generously and willingly. Give with a willing heart. There's so many examples throughout the history of kings collecting money of the people by force. No tax collectors lurking in the shadows of this chapter. They were prepared and they were generous and they gave with a willing heart. Give his worship. Look at verse 17. With joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. So the word 
provision or preparation over, over, over again, and the word willingly, 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 over and over again. There's a fourth thing I want you to see. Follow the leader in giving. Follow the leader in giving. Do you know what's happening when they're starting the collection of the precious jewels to build God's palatial structure? David steps up first. In verse 3, David is giving out of his own treasury. That's what it says. Look at, look at verse 3. And moreover, in my delight and the house of my God for the treasure I have of gold and silver. This is not Israel's treasury. This is David's own personal treasury. I'm giving my gold and my silver, David says. This was not the property of the state. It was the property of the king. And David gives generously as a, a catalyst for the generous outpouring of the gifts of the other leaders and then the people. The giving goes this way in 1 Chronicles 29. David steps up first and gives, and then the military leaders and the leaders politically give, and then finally and lastly, following the leader, the people give. Those who led clans and tribal leaders, military officers, they give so generously. It's a proven leadership that generosity needs an example. Generosity was not always true of Israel's kings. Ahab was rebuked by Elijah in 1 Kings for being greedy. And Micah condemned the leaders who were taking bribes and making their judgments. But the gifts that these leaders give are enormous. The gifts that they come in. Look at verse 7. And for the service of the house of God, these are the leaders. They give twice what David gives. They gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold. That would translate somewhere around 190 tons. And then 375 tons of silver. The leaders gave just as the supreme leader, David, had given. Every staff member at First Baptist Church is asked sometime during an interview, every ministerial staff member, what do you believe about tithing? Every staff member, without fail, in every interview, how do you feel about tithing? If the pastor and the staff are not leading the way and willing to give, how could we ever expect you to do so? When we give, we are to follow the leader. Number five, realize it's all God's anyway. Number five, realize it's all God's anyway. That's what David says. Look at verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Look at all this we've amassed. This, this tons of gold and silver and iron and wood and jewels. Who are we? How can we give so much? And then he answers his own question. Because all things come from you, God. And from your hand, we have given to you. David says over and over in this particular chapter that all that we have belongs to God, and we are only able to give because God, you first gave to us. John Maxwell uses the illustration 
about a father named James and a son named Joss. James asked his son, what do you want to do? Dad had some time. What would, be, what would you like to do with me today? What, what do you want to go to? I got a little time. What do you want to do? Is there anything you want to do right now, just you and me? And he said, yes, I want some McDonald's French fries. Of all the things you could wish for, they are addicting. I want some McDonald's French fries. His father said, if that's what Josh wants, that's what Josh will get. They got into their blue and white Chevrolet truck and made it to the nearest McDonald's. And Josh was anticipating those salty, hot, delicious fries even before they reached McDonald's. His dad placed the order. And then he heard his dad say those unexpected words that only Americans could say, supersize, supersize fries. The dad, James, took the money out of his wallet and he paid for the fries and for his son to have a Coke. The best time, that a fry tastes best from the counter to the table. Have you ever noticed that? While it's still hot, piping hot. Well, Josh couldn't even wait to get the table. He started eating the fries on the tray as he's making his way to the table. When they sat down, Josh said the fastest grace he has ever said before to get to those hot fries. The dad, James, was so happy to see his son so enthusiastic about something so simple. In fact, he decided to join in his son's fun, and he reached out to take a couple of those salty fries off the tray, and to his shock and disappointment, his little boy put his hands around the fries as if to build a wall, pulled them to him, and said, these are mine. <laughs> Dad couldn't believe what just happened. He pulled back his hand. He didn't take a fry. But he just sat there in silence, shocked by the selfishness of his son. He said, first of all, I thought, doesn't he realize that I am the source of all those fries? At the counter, I'm the one who gave the cashier the money from my wallet. I didn't even give him the size he was expecting. I got him some extra. And yet he's talking about my fries. Not only was I the source of his French fries from my wallet, does he not realize that he's six years old and I'm 6'1 and 195 pounds? <laughs> that I could physically pry every one of those fries out of his hand if I wanted to. And thirdly, does he not realize I could go back to the counter, take out my credit card, and I could bury my boy in fries. I could have covered him up in fries if I wanted to. Does he not realize I have plenty of fries? The dad thought about it. The ingratitude of the son to refuse the provider of the fries, a couple from the bunch. All he wanted to do was enter into the joy of his boy's little world of eating the salty snack. He wanted his son to be willing to share the blessing that he had been provided. Of course, now I flip the characters on you. God doesn't need our French fries. God could bury us in French fries or whatever it is that delights our hearts, like fries delighted Joshua's heart. 
But God wants us to be a giver and to be generous because it all belongs to him, and he is the provider of all blessings. The first Bible verse you remember is that God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Verses 10 through 17 repeatedly people indicate we realize, God, that we are giving so much because you have given us so much. Verse 11, it says, everything belongs to God. Verse 14, it says, everything comes from you. Verse 16, all that belongs to you. David understands there, there is nothing that he or the leaders or the people are giving to God that God did not first give to them. God is the original owner of everything. And yet we can be stingy with the care of all that we have. But everything, David says, belongs to God. Scientists approached God and said, listen, we don't need you any longer. We can clone people. We can transplant hearts. We can do all sorts of things that were once considered miraculous. God heard the scientists out and said, okay, well, let's have a contest. Let's have a man-making contest and let's see whether you really need me or not anymore. Okay, said the scientist. God said, we're going to do this like I did it back in the old days with Adam. And, well, that's fine, said the scientist. And he bent over to take some dirt. And God said, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. Go get your own dirt if you don't need me anymore. <laughs> the point is this. There is nothing you can do that didn't come from God. Your strength, your health, your mind, your wisdom, your decisions. God owns it all anyway. When my children were small, they want to buy me a Christmas present. Well, I knew who was going to be buying that Christmas present that my kids gave me, so I'd say, not too nice, just something small. <laughs> I don't need anything really, really big. You would be a fool to think when my children were little and they bought me a Christmas gift that I was richer for it. <laughs> I was poor for the gift that they gave me. Giving to God is just like that. It's all His anyway. The, the sixth thing, entrusted to a faithful administrator. Look at verse 8. He never gets to be the star of any sermon. Let's make him the star today. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them. There's the treasure of the house of God and the care of Jehal the Gershonite. Now, you didn't think we'd talk about Jehal the Gershonite today, did you? He was the business administrator. He watched over the affairs and administrated the gifts that came for the building of the temple. You have a business administrator and Tom Ferran and a finance committee and your gifts go where we tell you they're going to go. Go home this afternoon and Google the Mississippi welfare, welfare, welfare scandal and see what faces come up and who has taken $77 million. How do you not keep up with $77 million? Giving to God's house requires an administrator and making sure the money gets where it goes. 
I'm surprised every time the government sets aside money for cause A, very little money ever gets to cause A. It's bogged down, siphoned, burned up, and squandered and wasted and stored away and never gets where it's supposed to go. Not so, said David. Jehal is a trustworthy keeper of the treasury. Last thing I want to say, number seven, give with joy. Look at verse nine again. The people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering the Lord with a whole heart. And David, David also rejoiced greatly. The lavish gifts that people saw coming from the king. Then they saw the second wave of gifts coming from the military leaders and the tribal leaders. And they just rejoiced. They rejoiced because the leaders had offered so willingly. Give to God with joy. Sharing is not, even with God, sharing is not intuitive to us. No baby is born coming out saying, yours. No, no, no. The, the baby will never say yours. The baby will always say, mine. It's a lifelong process for some of us. But there will be a day in your heart, in your spiritual journey, where what you tithe and place in the offering plate to the bride of Christ, the church, for his work, will give you the greatest joy of any online giving or check or however you might give. And when you do it, every time it'll bring you the greatest joy. If you're not there yet, you keep giving and learning about the church, and you'll get there. The Earl of the Devonshire in Tiverton, there's engraved the following epitaph. What we gave, we have. What we spent, we had. What we kept, we lost. Annie Dillard puts it this way. One thing I know is this, spend it all, shoot it, play it, lose it all right away every time. Do not hoard what seems good for later. Give it, give it all, give it now. Anything you do not freely and abundantly give becomes lost to you. And in the end, open your safe and find ashes. Give to God with joy. Give to God willingly. Give to God, for he to you is already the greatest giver of all. Let's pray. God, thank you for being such a gracious giver to this church, to this people. It is a privilege to pastor people with open hearts and open hands. And you have used and multiplied disproportionately all that has been given to do great and mighty things for your kingdom. And we're grateful. It is with joy that we give back to you as part of our worship, as giving of ourselves. Amen.